Welcome to the G2 on 5G, the latest on anything related to 5G. It's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, Senior Analyst with Networking Infrastructure and Carrier Services, and joining me again from beautiful San Diego, California, is Angel Sag. How are you doing, Angel? Happy to be back on. Awesome. Well, let's get started. We'll do our Blitzkrieg six topics in 15 minutes or so. I'm going to lead off the conversation and talk about Nokia. This week, they, uh, they announced uh, their lobby effort for Open RAN. And, you know, this is interesting because I, I think Open RAN represents somewhat of a threat to the traditional infrastructure providers, not only Nokia, but Ericsson and Samsung. But, you know, from my perspective, I'm sort of trying to read, you know, the tea leaves here. Um, they are the first big infrastructure provider to, to really throw their weight behind open RAN. And I think there, there may be some motivation here on their part, given the discussions that are going on in the U.S. within the rural parts of the country in the rip and replace effort with Huawei. And I think I'm just, it's just sort of my, you know, my hypothesis, but I think they might be, you know, trying to position themselves, you know, favorably uh, to participate in that effort. I mean, do you have any, any insights or thoughts there? It's, I mean, Nokia is definitely in a position to benefit from it um, compared to everybody else who is more of an incumbent. I mean, Nokia is still technically an incumbent, but I think that they, um, they're definitely in a position of less uh, advantage. And I think they're looking for something to change up the landscape for them and give them an opportunity for more growth. And I think uh, I think we both agree that, you know, Open RAN has definitely been uh, positive for them, at least in the short term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and, and I think, you know, they, they have had some roadmap misses. I think we've addressed that on other podcasts. And uh, it's no secret that they, you know, they're, they're sort of the third fiddle and, you know, they're, they're chasing their competitors. And there's also been a lot of management turnover recently. Their, their executive that was leading their private networking group, Nokia Enterprise, left. Um, they have a new chairman of the board. Um, they have a new um, CEO coming on board, if not already. And so, and no, none of that necessarily is negative, but there, there's a lot of change going on. I think this is an attempt for them to be to be super aggressive. Yeah, lots of having lots of um, executive changes is not great. Um, but uh, yeah, I think um, there's there's opportunities for them to, you know, improve. And mm -hmm. I think Open RAN is a big opportunity for them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, let's shift. Let's shift into your your first topic this week, and um, you're our resident expert on on AR, VR, mixed reality. I know Qualcomm had a big announcement. I also read your article on Forbes. So why don't you uh, take us through that? Sure. So um, Qualcomm has been working on this XR initiative for quite some time. Um, it's more around um, XR viewers which are basically VR and AR headsets that attach to a phone. Mm -hmm. um, and they've been slowly kind of progressing this vision um, over the course of the last year to two years. Um, they're kind of the leader in XR, especially when it comes to mobile XR. Mm -hmm. So there really isn't a, a better company to do this with 5G. Um, and they've already been pairing this pretty heavily with 5G. It's actually their primary focus. Um, but uh, what's really happening is that they are um, getting carriers on board now. Mm -hmm. And the carriers are um, basically 
15 of them have signed on to this program to either, you know, adopt or are have plans to adopt. Basically, they're on board to actually adopt these XR viewers and pair them with 5G phones. And the 15 operators they have are literally all the lead, world's leading operators. Um, you've got Europe, Asia, you have all the Chinese carriers, all the Korean carriers, all the Japanese carriers. Mm -hmm. um, you've got Deutsche Telekom, Vodafone, um, and I, I forget which one of the UK carriers. It's either EE or, or 3. Um, I think it's EE. But um, in the US, they've got Verizon. So they literally, if you add up all the customers of, that those operators have together, it's like 3.2 billion customers. Hmm. So it's a huge effort. And um, the way I look at it is they've got some really, um, some real momentum behind them now. And I think it's, the operators are going to be the ones who really help them get it to the, into people's hands, be they yeah. consumers or enterprises. Uh, it doesn't really matter at this point. Um, yeah. But the key is going to be getting services to customers and getting them to understand the value proposition. Yeah, and I think I think XR is a great uh, showcase for um, 5G with respect to its improvements and latency and throughput. You touched on enterprise. I mean, obviously the consumer applications are, are evident but I think there'll be some really, really interesting use cases in, in the enterprise, especially I've spoken about this whole notion of extended SME, which is you know, equipping field service technicians with this sort of technology where they can, they can more quickly diagnose issues and, and repair things like if you think about oil and gas, and totally. even telecommunications. So uh, Qualcomm is definitely a leader and uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how this sort of all rolls out. So, Let's shift gears a little bit. And my second topic this week is uh, there was some news from uh, a telecommunications alliance. They're, they call themselves the Alliance for Telecommunications Industry Solutions. Sounds very fancy. And they were recommending that the U.S. Uh, begin its efforts uh, with respect to 6G. And, you know, I, I read this and it was interesting. Um, I spent some time with my alma mater, UT Austin, last year. And I know that their, their wireless user group um, uh, is, 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 is focused already on 6G and, and looking at you know, impl you know, implementing things like you know, kind of radar technology uh, for, the, for the kind of the next G and the next step. But from my perspective, I, you know, we're still very you know, uh, early in the deployment phase of 5G. And I, I would argue that you know, there doesn't need to be a huge focus or emphasis on 6G. I mean, continue to do what academia and obviously others, you know, like the big infrastructure providers are investigating. But like, I really think it's like, you know, hey, we got to focus on 5G and get it out the door. So I, I don't know if you agree with that or disagree with that statement. I kind of agree. I think, I think it's okay to have conceptual um, discussions about 6G mm -hmm. um, because you want to figure out what you're going to want to do with it. But the reality is, is that, um, you know, each G is about a decade yeah, and yeah. Uh, each G takes longer than the last G to develop. So, um, you know, I, I think there's going to be a lot of things we'll learn from 5G um, that we will want to wind into 6G. Mm -hmm. And I think that takes rolling 5G out for it to happen. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of the discussions around what 6G could be like terahertz related, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of those challenges are going to take lots of research mm -hmm. and learnings that we take in from 
things we've learned about five, how to deal with 5G problems. So I think um, it's going to be a slow roll process, um, but I think it's starting early because people saw how long it took 5G to get to where it is. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, 5G is not anywhere near done. So um, there's still a long way to go and there's still lots of innovations to come out and um, multiple more releases of 3GPP specs. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think think it's very early. Um, I wouldn't put too much, um, you know, resources or too much um, thought into it unless it's just conceptual because, um, you know, we don't really know what we need in 6G yet. So I feel like that's mm-hmm. kind of kind of uh, a hard thing to do when you don't really know what, what inadequacies 5G has yet. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. And like, if our viewers are interested, I wrote a Forbes article uh, based on my visit with the University of Texas at Austin. Just Google Will Townsend Forbes UT and you, you can learn more about what UT is, uh, is examining with respect to uh, their 6G efforts. So. Let's shift uh, to your second topic, and we wore tinfoil hats a few episodes ago, and you have uh, you have some news to share around a uh, an anti five G USB stick. So I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, so this thing is called the. Um, one sec, I have a a whole OneNote doc with it, all the details, so I don't have to pull up the website again. Um, it's called the five G BioShield. It's a USB stick. Doesn't look like this. This is a mini GPU that I'm holding in my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, a mini GPU shaped USB drive, but it's literally a USB drive um, that the, U- that the um, UK government is now questioning whether or not it's a scam and whether or not they should be allowed to sell it because they're <laughs> claiming that for $350 for a USB drive with a little crystal or like a little plastic holographic uh, em- emboldened, em- emblazoned uh, logo on it, um, <laughs> it can block um, your... 5G signal, 4G signal, Wi-Fi um, from your body. Um, you can get one for 350 or three for $1,000, which is a That's deal. A bargain. That's it a uses bargain. proprietary holographic nanolayer catalyst technology. <laughs> um, it has uh, quantum oscillation through a process that, that reharmonizes the disturbing frequencies arising from the electric fog induced by devices. And <laughs> it restores the coherence of atoms and emits life force frequencies. And I went in, read all the documentation, all the research, finger quotes in the air, research. Mm-hmm. And um, they even have like, they measured your chakras and the energy coming from them with and without this device. And <laughs> the kicker is if you don't plug it in. It only covers a five meter radius, but if you plug a USB drive in, it has a 20 meter radius. So it can cover a whole home with one device, which I think is a great value. I I think it's a tremendous value. But (laughs) I I thought it would be kind of interesting because it's possible that this thing could have like a a virus on it or some kind of malware on that USB drive. You don't know. There's, it doesn't, it's not a real, I mean, I think it's a USB drive. It looks like a USB drive. I don't know what content is on there or if there's any, but, um, yeah, these guys are these guys are um, being uh, investigated for, for for fraud because, I mean, first of all, what you can't block five G, and some of the one of the best claims is, like, uh, will this interfere with my internet connection? Because you know people use Wi Fi at home, mm-hmm. and they're like, no, it won't. So like, it protects you from the radiation of Wi Fi, but it doesn't interfere with <laughs> Wi Fi, which awesome. you know, mentally makes no sense. 
Um, but they call this the most advanced full spectrum quantum nanolayer shielding technology uh, available to the public right now. So yeah, I just, there's so many amazing words. It's an, it's an impenetrable shielding and harmonization of your home and family mm. from all harmful imbalanced electric radiation, including 2G, 3G, 4G, 5G, and Wi-Fi. Love it. But yeah, well, I figured it'd be a fun thing to talk about because it's, you know, a continuation of these conspiracy theories that have yeah. been proven false, including our previous podcast saying that, you know, um, that 5G is dangerous. Yeah, uh, it's fun stuff. And uh, I'll, I'll wait until they have a flux capacitor model uh, <laughs> to, to purchase my five for to cover the whole neighborhood. <laughs> exactly. So let's shift, uh, shift gears a little bit here. And my third topic this week is, uh, you know, Huawei's back in the news. And uh, this week, the United Kingdom, uh, their cybersecurity uh, agency is, uh, is scrutinizing the deployment of, of Huawei kits and gear um, mm -hmm. you know, within their networks. And this is obviously tied to the entity list, um, you know, activity. And then recently the presidential order that is going to require uh, silicon uh, fabs that use American silicon manufacturing equipment uh, to be licensed to uh, sell the end product to um, foreign entities, including companies that reside in China. So I, I think this is another another blow, um, you know, to Huawei, and um, it's just like they, they can't catch a break these days. No, and I, I the thing is, is that um, the UK has been one of those few European countries that has pretty held pretty steadfast for Huawei for quite mm -hmm. some time. Um, I think they did a really good job of um, creating a strong relationship with a lot of current and former government officials, um, but it seems like that that has waned He's and right they, yeah. yeah they no longer have the advantage that they used to have yeah yeah so it'll yeah it'll be interesting to see how this goes but again the the drama continues so well, let's wrap things up your your third topic this week you want to talk about a very aggressively priced uh 5g enabled smartphone and then talk a little yep. bit about the european commission and what they want yeah. to accelerate the deployment of 5g this one will be a quick little twofer um so there's the Xiaomi K30i 5G, um, which is a uh, cost down version of a, an, a previous Xiaomi K30 phone. Um, but what makes this one a big deal is that it's running on a um, Snapdragon 765G, um, which has a X52 modem, meaning that it's a 5G modem. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a $266 5G phone. Um, obviously, once it comes to the U.S. with shipping and taxes and all that, it won't be $266 if you can get it. Um, yeah. But in China, that's what it'll be selling for, which is an incredibly low price. Um, and I it think really it really is. lowers the barrier for 5G on, on the device side and makes it um, no longer a premium-only feature um, mm -hmm. and kind of washes a lot of those um, people who are saying 5G you know, can't be successful because it's only available in expensive devices. So right, I think you're yeah. going to see more of that this year and next year. Um, 5G is going to be everywhere on every device and it's kind of unavoidable. So, um, you know, whoever's not in involved in 5G is going to fall behind pretty quickly. Yeah, and I, I was at the Qualcomm 5G Summit in, uh, in Barcelona last year and Qualcomm talked about how they're going to support their roadmap to be able to integrate and offer 5G at the at the low end, the mid end, you know, the mid um, tier, and the very very high end device support. So this is all coming to fruition, obviously. Yeah, they've been talking about this since 
like two MWCs ago. Right. Um, But uh, yeah, and then the other topic was um, kind of a quick one as well, uh, that the European Commission is, um, as part of their analysis of the economic situation in Europe due to COVID-19, they see uh, 5G as an opportunity, well, the acceleration of 5G, but they see 5G as an opportunity to one, modernize the European economy, but also to increase the, the pace of the recovery by enabling 5G and modernizing the infrastructure um, in a way that makes commerce happen faster, which mm-hmm. then can potentially accelerate growth faster. Um, yeah. Did you have any kind of inputs on that? Yeah, you know, um, this isn't, you know, dissimilar from, you know, the U.S.'s focus on getting 5G deployed out and leveraging that as a competitive advantage on the world scene. I mean, uh, when you think about the application of 5G with the low latency and the faster throughput into areas like smart manufacturing and smart warehousing, this could have a real uh, demonstrative impact on the GDP of any nation. So, um, yeah, I'm not surprised that the EC is throwing themselves behind that. And the interesting thing is, you know, um, I feel like in the U.S., because we have so few operators that cover the country, um, Mm -hmm. once all three operators have 5G out, it's already out. But in Europe, you have different countries and each country has its own operators. I mean, you have a couple like Vodafone um, that kind of, you know, cover the, you know, cross barriers and same with with Deutsche Telekom. But for the most part, you know, each country has its own situation. And as a result, I think they're trying to look to harmonize that a little bit better and uh, maybe plug some holes in certain countries that don't have 5G or behind. Um, But yeah, that was kind of an interesting thing because it's related to COVID-19 and 5G and how they see 5G accelerating the economy. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I've written about this as well. So I, I wrote a Forbes article June of last year and I talked about policy and consortia and the challenge in Europe, uh, they, they've been you know, kind of chastised for being slow in their deployment, but you gotta realize that each individual country has its own set of policies and regulations and requirements for the deployment of 5G and harmonizing that in between countries when you start talking about use cases like drone delivery, autonomous driving, it, it creates a real challenge for them. So um, yeah, I'm not surprised to see you know, that, that effort there. But hey, an, another, another great set of topics this week, Angel. why don't you take us home? Sure. Um, we hope that you, our listeners and viewers, found this week's topics interesting. Um, if anyone out there would like to provide us with any insight on a specific 5G topic that you'd like us to cover um, for a future podcast, please reach out to us. Uh, we're on social media uh, on Twitter. Uh, Will is at WillTownTech, and I'm at Anshel Sog. Uh, we hope that you have a great weekend, and please tune again next week.